This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, hello and welcome to a very special edition of Albion Analysis. Pete is here as usual, but joining us is a very special guest. A man who spent two years at the Baggies, playing 64 times, scoring seven goals and unveiling one extremely memorable T-shirt. It's the scourge of Aston Villa himself, Paul Sharna. Welcome to the pod, Paul. Lovely to have you on. Hi, Chris. Thank you very much. Well, mate, we'll start it off simple. Um, what, what are your memories of, uh, of your time at the Albion? Uh, yeah, mainly great, great memories, to be honest. Um, I had a really good relationship uh, to the fans, uh, to, support, to the supporters. It was, um, we, we had a good start in the season, the first season, but uh, we, we, we came in a bit of a struggling uh, period, actually, uh, especially around Christmas, you know. Uh, and uh, it was a shame, actually, that, uh, yeah, Roberto Di Matteo had, had to, to leave the club, actually. Uh, but uh, when Roy Hodgson came in, uh, yeah, we sold we sold a, a bit better, um, and we did a great job. Uh, yeah, the following season actually. I mean, that that must be odd for you as a player because those two. I mean, obviously, I was there at the club at the time, and and as 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 people, they are they're they're really really different. Roberto Di Matteo and Roy Black Hodgson. and white, yeah. or dark and bright, or anything like that. You know, it's totally different and. Uh, to be honest, uh, West Bromwich, uh, Albion did it uh, the last few years, actually always changing from black to white and white to black <laughs> in, in management, to be honest. How is, that, how is that for players? Because obviously it worked back then, but it hasn't worked recently for, for the club changing between such different managers. I think I think that's that's the main challenge for um, uh, middle-level uh, clubs, actually. To settle a proper philosophy, a proper DNA, and look for managers who suit the uh, DNA, you know. And uh, but what I said uh, the last couple of years, you know, uh, also on, on the on the Twitter account, you know, 
it's actually a shame that always uh, changing uh, the DNA and also the philosophy, uh, yeah, 180 degrees, you know, and uh, you, you can't uh, build something up for the future uh, if you're just changing from, yeah, left to right, front, back, uh, you're never stable, you know. I mean, obviously, from the outside looking in, do you feel like the club has a DNA at the moment? Because we certainly did back then in about 2010, 2011, when you were at the club. Do you feel they have one now? Yes, I think so. There is a proper DNA. It's a a (laughs) (laughs) non-DNA. We're changing every, I don't know, every week or every month or anything. Yeah, it's too many changes, to be honest. Wonderful. We'll, we'll come back to the current uh, current incumbents in a minute, but I want to talk a little bit about your time at, at the Baggies. And specifically, I want to start off talking about Derby games and the Villa, the Villa games, because I looked at your record. Three games against Villa, you scored twice, you got one assist. Did you particularly love the games against Villa? Yeah, particularly Derby games, actually, were very interesting for me because uh, these are special games with uh, special atmosphere and, uh, yeah, also uh, with, a, with a, a special pressure, actually, on the field and also, uh, of course, around the field uh, with, with the supporters. And uh, to be honest, I, I, I really do like or I did like uh, to play at, at, at the Villa Park. I like the stadium, to be honest. It's a, it's a great stadium, but... Uh, Mainly, I like to score there. <laughs> so did you find that the supporters had a, a lot of impact on you when you were playing like this season? We've seen some negativity inside the ground. and Do you think that affects the players? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I always say um, when, when the management is not certain and are not uh, uh, focused on a certain way, it belongs to the players, actually. It goes down the ladder. And yeah, the whole club is in, uh, how, how can you say it? Uh, yeah, in, in uh, they, they don't know uh, yeah, which, which direction uh, the, the club is heading, you know. And um, it's, it's, it's so difficult what I said before, when you just change every time the whole direction, actually. I mean, talking about that relationship with the supporters, uh, there was something I wanted to, to mention to you because you were one of the first players I saw really use social media to try and connect with, uh, with, with the fans. How important was that to you as a, as a player to, to build that connection with the fans? Because I hadn't really seen a lot of players, you know, back in 2010, I hadn't seen a lot of players do this until you started doing it. Um, my main thinking um, on behalf of the relationship uh, between players and supporters is, and we experienced, experienced it uh, in, the, in the corona crisis, football without supporters is, is like football without players. So I, I put the fans on the same level as the players, you know, because nobody's interesting watching football in front of empty stands. It's totally boring <laughs> there is something missing, something certain missing, you know, and and that's why I always try to to get a good relationship and interact with the with with the fans. And what what I also did it was uh, um, um, I came I came up uh, or I, I meet up uh, at the supporters meetings, you know, in in uh, Southern Coldfield once. So I think um, there there is a lot of potential in it. To, to, to get um, 
how, how you say it, it's maybe a bit uh, a bit uh, mystical, but you you can earn more energy, you know, for for everything what you do as a club. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just just on that chance, not suggesting you ever had a bad game, mate. But um, but like, if you if you were going through a bad run of form, do you feel like that relationship with the with the supporters almost bought you a little bit more time on occasions? Yes, yes, definitely. And also, I think when you when you are coming communicate properly between the club and the supporters, where we want to go, which direction we want to go. And how long it takes, you know? I think the understanding from the fans and the, from from the su- supporters' base is is much higher than just when you're watching every week and reading something different, you know? Absolutely. So, I mean, really, there's 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 a responsibility on everybody within the club to communicate, but probably players, you know, it goes beyond performances on the pitch. It's almost like you've got to be an ambassador to the fans at all times. Yes, uh, football is public, you know, you can't hide because uh, otherwise you don't earn uh, that much money, you know, if, if, if it's a, a hidden uh, job, actually. And, and, and that's part of, of the game, you know, that's part of uh, the description of uh, a football professional, you know, you need to do certain things off the pitch, otherwise no money is coming in, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. And just going back to sort of like building that relationship, you did a couple of um, quite public things that that, that that built relationships. There was the the first uh, Villa game, the 2-1 win at the, the Hawthorns, where I believe it was the blue and white hair. Yeah. And then there was the game at Villa Park, which we all remember, of course, with the badge on the T-shirt. Yeah, it, it was what it, it is a great memory, to be honest. Uh, but um, when I'm looking back... Um, it was not as well supported from the club as I thought it gonna be, you know, because it was more or less uh, a one man thing. What I did, I didn't I didn't uh, communicate enough before the games actually, but it's very difficult because, of course, you need to score. Otherwise, nobody wants to see your shirt, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it took two games actually because uh, I didn't score against Wolves. But at least the following uh, game against Aston Villa. Yeah, but just uh, before we go back to Villa, on Wolves, you say you didn't score against Wolves, but Shans, there was a cheeky back heel in there to yeah, Peter yeah, Odewingi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't forget about that. Yeah, but you can't raise the shirt and sh- uh, show the badge actually for a back heel. <laughs> I don't know, mate. I think I probably would have. If I'd done a back heel assist yes. against Wolves, I would have I shown the shirt. But that's just me. That's just me. But no, I mean, just uh, just on that, talk and tell us where that, where, where that came from. Because uh, I believe there's a little bit of a story behind where the where the, the badge on the shirt came from now for for me uh, on, a, on a on a certain thing actually football is entertainment you know supporters coming to the stadium and want to see something special or different you know and that's why we we start to discuss at home and uh, you know uh, at this at this time uh, it's all it was always difficult to get the boys away from uh, the console you know from the playstation and from the and all, all the kind of stuff and that's that's why my wife uh, started to yeah uh, painting uh, uh, t-shirts actually and as I, I thought or I, I told them hey the the next uh, couple of weeks we play uh, against Wolves and uh, Villa maybe we can do a, a nice shirt uh, for the supporters so it, it worked out actually <laughs> 
So did you have one on whilst you were playing Wolves as well that we didn't get to see? Yes, I, I had it, I had it on because I was not sure if I'm scoring against Wolves. So, uh, but um, I showed it uh, one time Mick McCarthy, and he he went crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, I can't. I can't imagine he loved that. I can't imagine yeah. he loved, just uh, while we're on the subject of your uh, of your goals in the ten eleven season. I mean, I'd like your take on this because I feel like you were a little bit robbed out of goal of the season. Sunderland away is that not just such an unbelievable passing move that it should have been goal of the season? Yeah, it was was great. It was a really really uh, nice movement. I think it was uh, yeah three four five passes actually. And uh, yeah, I hit the ball uh, through the through the legs uh, from somebody, and the best thing was uh, in front of the away supporters, uh, in front of the Peggy's supporters, and uh, yeah, I, I ran straight away to the to the to the supporters, and uh, yeah, started to celebrate. I mean that that year when you joined um, in in two thousand and ten. We we got very much the tag of being a yo-yo team. We came up, yes. we went straight back down. Now that year started a run of seven consecutive seasons in the in the Premier League, I believe it was. Yeah. Um, what made the difference? What ta- what turns a team from a good Championship team but not good enough to stay in the Premier League to a team that can stay in the Premier League year after year after year? I think it's the belief. More, more or less, to be honest, because you uh, uh, so West Bromwich was uh, was uh, established as a yo-yo team, and um, everybody started to think about yeah we are a yo-yo team, <laughs> and that's why I got, I got the call actually from Dan Ashworth, you know, because I had a record with Wigan to stay and establish in the Premier League and stay in the Premier League, so that's why actually uh, they they tried to sign me and. Um, what what they they told me actually what the what what was uh, focused on in the, in the future, so uh, I was quite impressed and and that's why I decided for to uh, to sign for the Albans. So do you think having like big characters in the dressing room is almost as important as having good players like yourself? Uh, definitely, definitely, and that's why um, I don't know if you remember when we after the the Blackpool game we we went in a crisis. To be honest, in a very in a, in a deep deep crisis, and I I knew why actually, and that's why I made the interview around Christmas and uh, criticized my colleagues, you know, because they were just <laughs> everything is fine, but uh, yeah. I, I I could already see that uh, it, it's going in the wrong direction, and, and uh, yeah, I got the piece in the dressing room definitely. <laughs> But my, my main task was uh, I got signed uh, to make sure that uh, we stay in the Premier League, you know. So apart from yourself, who else at that time would you consider the the big characters that kind of really pushed us to, to stay up? Now, Jonas, of course, but he, he, he got injured, you know. Mm. Um, that's why I dropped back uh, to centre-back uh, for a certain period, to be honest. Um, and, uh, of course, um, Peter Odemingi. Was a was a vital player actually uh, for the team, and um, the, the the main problem was that um, man how in 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 the first first three or four months he got how often he got uh, player of the month yeah, totally. three times actually, and uh, he thought uh, that uh, it should 
come back a bit more from from the board and from the management of West Bromwich, but mm. he didn't do anything about it, you know. And that's why he get a bit of uh, pissed off actually from <laughs> from from the situation, you know. Were you surprised at how? Because I mean, obviously, you you ended up watching it from outside the club. I think you'd gone to Hamburg at the, um, at, the, at that point. But were you surprised at the situation that ended up unfurling around Peter? Yeah, totally, totally. To be honest, because uh, he was he was one of the best strikers in the Premier League. Normally, you you should take care about him as as much as possible. And uh, yeah, you know the story. It's a, it's a very unhappy story, to be honest. Uh, it was also not uh, well advised actually for Peter, but I'm still in, in contact with Pete. And uh, yeah, uh, I think he's, he's one of the nicest guy ever I met actually. And uh, for me, in my eyes, he, he would have deserved more, more care than he got actually. How big a difference did he make? to this team that season because that we we'd ne- I don't think I don't think before that season we'd ever had anyone score yeah. 10 Premier League goals in a single Premier League season he went and got 15 yeah no, it was our lifeline in my opinion of course you can defend but uh, it's it's difficult in the Premier League and you need to score and uh, that's why I actually uh, yeah we 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 ended up in a struggling you know just you, just going back to what you said before about the interview you gave around around Christmas time, we actually saw something quite similar from from Ben Foster um, after Watford were were relegated. Do you think sometimes it needs somebody to come out and just tell the truth, really, just say what is happening? Definitely, because um, in a in a certain um, thing, actually, nobody is listening internal, you know. You need to, to, to break it out, to, to break out actually and, and, uh, yeah, knock with a hammer on the door sometimes, you know, because Christmas is a, such a vital period, you know, and, uh, you play in this, in this, uh, time actually, you play for, for the, for, for the spring season, you know, and if, if you are in a struggle, then it's very difficult to come back again. We're going to talk a little bit about recruitment and all the, the, the uh, and, uh, and that sporting structure stuff in a little bit. But just on the subject of recruitment, that the summer of that second season, it seemed like we recruited so so well. Uh, ben, uh, I believe Ben Foster came in, Billy Jones, um, Gareth McCauley, Shane Long. You know, some really really important players came came through the door how big a difference did those signings make yeah of, of course it's it's always uh, important to add up the the squad especially when you want to establish uh, in the premier league you know but uh, for for a certain thing actually um, also way hodgson's uh, very strict 442 helped us to stabilize especially in the defense yeah, because I mean that—that's something that probably didn't get appreciated much this season was how good our defence was under under Ishmael. And I know it's a bit different in the Championship because people expect West people don't expect West Brom to go out and win every week in the Premier League, but they probably do in in the Championship. So maybe they're not as impressed when uh, when we've got a good defence. But how just from somebody who who quite often played either deep in midfield or played centre half, how important is it to have that? Really rock solid defense. Now, of course, it helps a lot when you when you have your formation, you know, and can rely on the formation. But on the other hand, um, what I was a, what was a bit disappointed because we had uh, 
a lot of quality in the in the squad to 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 look out and reach for more than just surviving in the Premier League. You know, mm. of course, I know the second season in the Premier League is always a a, a dangerous one. You know. Yeah. Uh, I experienced it uh, at Wigan as well, you know, in the second season, we just survived on the last day against Sheffield United. And uh, of course, you it, it's always uh, dangerous to dream about more than just survive. But uh, I think at that time, it was possible to reach out uh, for the first half of the table. And that's, and- that's, that's what I, I mentioned to, to Ray Hodgson, actually, at Christmas time, then in the second season. I don't understand why we make us smaller than we are actually. So you think Albion could have could have done more at that yes. time to go on and be more? Yes, definitely. I mean, just talking about the, the talking about the the building and the structure and everything, and I just want to talk about one man specifically because you mentioned him earlier, Dan Ashworth. What was he like to work with? Yeah, he's a great guy. Actually, it was a shame that he left after two years uh, after two years in the Premier League. Actually. And uh, of course, uh, it's also so the decision of Dan Ashworth supported my uh, yeah leave actually because I had an option on on a on a, on a third year actually, but uh, I needed 25 games, and I ended up uh, at 23 or 24. It uh, the, the contract didn't extend, but anyway, uh, I think he's a great guy, and um, if if you look uh, on the last 10 years. 10, 15 years, he did a great job everywhere. He went actually uh, at St. George's Park uh, under the FA, you know, great, great development. Brighton, great development. So, uh, to be honest, he knows his job. And as a player, how much contact did you have with Dan Ashworth or was it mostly through the manager? No, no. So, we, we saw each other every week actually because he had his office at the entrance area, you know, and uh, he had always always an open door and uh, we had quite a, uh, yeah, often a conversation, to be honest. He was quite close to the to the team. Just so, just in terms of that role uh, as players, because I think, I think we, we as, um, I think there's a lot of misconceptions around what the sporting and technical director really, really does. How important do, do you as players conceive that role to be, that, that sporting and technical director role? I think that's the new structure it needs for for football, you know, professional football. Because if you look on the on the um, on the coaching staff, it's huge, you know, and uh, it's all it's not always easy for a manager to focus on the long term targets, you know, because he just uh, get uh, quoted on the on the short term. So that's why actually. It's so vital to have a, a, a technical or a sporting director who has the big picture in mind for the for the club, and uh, also when 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 uh, difficult times coming up, staying focused and tell the manager, hey, stay calm. Of course, we are in a difficult situation at the moment, but we're looking long term, you know, and uh, you you can see uh, the outcome actually. <laughs> Uh, over the last uh, yeah three four five years, it's just a, a real mess to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> because there was no nobody at at all actually at the club who uh, looked uh, further than I don't know 
two weeks <laughs> three well, weeks yeah exactly <laughs> and i know you've done a lot of work with with young players paul and like yeah. if if you haven't got anybody who's looking long term as you say the manager a lot of the time if they've got a 30 year old that they know they can trust and they've got a 21 year old who might be good or an even 18 19 year old who might be who might be really really good in 5 years the manager's probably thinking well, if I don't play the 30-year-old, forget five years, I might not be here next yeah. week. Does it, does it really stop, having, stop youth development if you haven't got, you know, that kind of structure? Yeah, definitely. So that's, that's the biggest enemy, <laughs> to be honest, uh, to developing young players because uh, the short-term success is so huge and so vital now uh, to, to stay in the job that, uh, yeah, all... all all thinking and all looking further than uh, a month is just dreaming, actually. It's obviously an area you know a lot about. Is it an area that you feel you could, that you'd want to move into in the future? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm doing uh, the uh, UEFA uh, Sporting Director course, actually, for, for um, as a Master of International Players, actually. Um, we are um, at the moment at, at half term, so I'm finishing next year uh, in June. And of course, sometimes, uh, but more mid mid term than long term, uh, I'm I'm looking uh, yeah to to joining a club or maybe running my own club. <laughs> I mean, it seems though that that you, you've uh, I mean we talked about the social media stuff. We, you you see, you've obviously like had a big grasp of the sporting director structure. Have you always tried to be forward thinking and progressive when it when it comes to comes to football because you've clearly got a lot of passion for the game but you it seems like you, you you want to almost look at what's the next thing not what's happening now what's the next thing so i would say that was my biggest ability optimizing everything month or a year just try something or try to find something new that i perform better the next season to be honest and um, i'm still doing it it's it's one of my biggest strengths actually to to look look out for yeah innovation. And we talked about your your passion for 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 youth uh, football and and young players and getting them an opportunity in the game. From that point of view, to turn that to West Bromwich Albion, does it does it worry you to have seen so many of the the youth team staff leave over the last couple of years and then start seeing people like? Louis Barry, Morgan Rogers, all these young players going out the door and going to other clubs. We've just seen Reese Cleary leave this week as well. You know, it, it, it seems it seems worrying. Yeah, definitely. And Aston Villa uh, did know actually why they want to have the staff, <laughs> the former staff, to be honest, because they did a great job. Yeah, because they're guys you know well, of course, aren't they? Of course, Chris and Steve, or everybody. I mean, we met every time, you know, in the in the in the canteen. Uh, at, at uh, lunchtime, you know. So I was very interested. I had always a conversation with them because, um, yeah, I want, wanted to know more than than just, uh, yeah, going to the to the training ground, training and go back home. So can you give us just a little bit of insight into that? Is Mark Harrison, Steve Hopcroft, people like that. What made them so good at their job? Man, that's that's a good question, but uh, they just show it, you know. <laughs> because they they know they have a plan they have a long term vision to be honest and uh, they have um, uh, passion for the for the job and patience that's the main thing actually having worked with young players because this is something that's been debated a, a, a little bit some people say 
oh, well, you know, Louis Barry would have left no matter what. Um, you know, all these players would have left no matter what. Do you think that if the coaches that had brought them up since they were, what, 10, 9, 10, 11, 12, were still there, that a lot of these players would have stuck around as well? Yeah, definitely, because uh, it's all about uh, trust, to be honest. As a young player, you, you need to feel that uh, you... The, the, uh, the, the club is looking for developing young players, bringing young players into the first team, you know, and if you, if you can't feel it as a young player, then of course you're looking for different solutions. And with the young players, do you think they should kind of, like the academy should be kind of integrated so on the same training ground, in the same building, or do you think it should be separate? No, definitely not separated. That was the most stupid decision I've ever heard, actually, the last sec- uh, two, three years. And uh, and just I mean, it, 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 it was it was perfect. Uh, I always uh, sat sat on a table with the young players, you know, because uh, of course uh, they are looking out for that and get some motivation for themselves, you know, and try much harder than uh, yeah to get you you get separated and never ever see anything like like this, you know. Yeah, because how big is that relationship between the senior players and and the youth team players in terms of development? Because you almost had like you almost had like like a youth team player um, as your sort sort of uh, mentee, didn't you? Whilst uh, whilst you were there, like most of the players had a youth team player that worked with them. Yeah, definitely. So that's that's so vital, you know, for young people. You know, uh, young people mirroring. You know, they're looking out for experience and uh, want to learn and. And uh, I, I don't understand the decision to separate the, the youth team from the first team, you know. And uh, that's that's also a part of of a uh, professional footballer. You you need to be mentor mentoring young players in the club. That that would be the first thing I would do. do would uh, establish at the club, you know. And just on the first team, I don't know how much you've you've watched of us this season. I I, I hope for your sake, not much, because it's been rubbish. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but what 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 do you think we need to do uh, this this summer? Because it seemed like you know uh, it's obviously not it's not gone well um, this uh, this season, and we you know we need to we need to get back to the place we were in when you were there in, in in between 2010 and and 2012 because i think i think that's that's pretty much as good as it's got over the last 15 years yeah it 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 all depends on i can, i just can i can say it again you know it's all about um the the management the board you know because uh, i don't think it's a good idea of course uh, um, i worked under steve bruce you know and yeah, he's doing a certain job you know but uh, it's, for me, it's always the question, is, is the manager the right person to bring in the DNA? Because how long is he staying? Yeah, and he's only, he's <laughs> only got a contract to be how, how long? How long is he staying? Yeah. yeah, one year, yeah, of course, yes. That's great. You and mentioned, then... <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned that you, you obviously played with him at Wigan. What was, what, what was he like? What were your, what's your memories of playing for Steve Bruce? Yeah, it, he's, he's an English manager, of course, and um, he doesn't like to play much possession football at the back, you know, and of course uh, the danger area is uh, up front, you know, um, uh, but uh, of course uh, he experienced uh, a lot of uh, different styles now the last 10 years actually, and man, I'm, I'm not in contact with, with him anymore, but um, at this stage when he joined uh, Wigan um, after the 
the third year, so after the, the, the bad start in the third year in the Premier League, uh, he stabilized us as a, as a team, actually. And uh, yeah, we survived quite comfortable as on, on, on 12th or 13th position in the Premier League. But uh, yeah, Vigan is quite similar in, this, in the thinking of, uh, of, of just surviving from the Premier League, you know. But mm. uh, sometimes, or actually when, when you're just thinking like that, you know, surviving from the Premier League, then, you, then, then there is a certainty that um, in, a, in, a, in a certain period of time, you get relegated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, that's it's, that's, that's, that's as, as certain as, uh, yeah, we all go, are going to die. Yeah, yeah, like a, a bit like what you were saying before about when you said about uh, to Roy Hodgson that you wanted to see us go to the next level. I suppose yeah. if you don't go to the, the the next level, a bit like you know, like Leicester just, have or something like that, then you're never gonna you, you, just 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 speak about one example. You know, Red Bull Salzburg. Mm-hmm. Uh, they reached the uh, um, the last uh, sixteen in the Champions League this year. You know, first time. But normally they are always qualified for the for the group stage. They have a budget of 70, 80 million euros a year. And when you're playing as a Premiership team, you know, in the Premier League, you get minimum 120 million, you know. So you are rich, 40 million richer than a team who is playing in the Champions League, you know, and you're thinking about surviving. No, spend the money right, you know, and not burning the money and wasting the money. That's that's for me. Uh, what what I experienced in, in in England was, yeah, because we have so much money, we can burn it. That's mm-hmm. that's that's the feeling I got actually. Well, actually, uh, interesting that you know you mentioned Salzburg as an example. I was reading an article about about them and how and how many young players they bring to, through. Basically, they go to the tiny leagues around Europe and pick the best yes. talents and nurture them. Do you think that's part of the problem with 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 the Albion that they've bought too many players who were at the wrong end of their career, rather than going and getting young players and nurturing them a bit like say Brentford have? Yeah, definitely. And and they are miles too expensive, you know. So to, to be honest, uh, the the wages uh, to the the the, the con- to pay at uh, at the moment it's it's unbelievable, and then you're gonna struggle, you know, especially. When you bet on, uh, yeah, promoting uh, promotion for the Premier League, you know, with the Red Bull clubs, there's obviously um, however many, you know, you've got Leipzig and New York, and how important do you think it is to have those connections as clubs to in different leagues? So, for example, Albion to get one in in Europe somewhere to maybe have younger players coming through from there. Of course, at the beginning, the connection is uh, vital, but what what uh, especially Red Bull Salzburg did is they they made their name, you know. So every young player, any any young player in Europe, not just in Austria, in whole Europe, from France, from Spain, when when Red Bull Salzburg is asking them, then they really think about it to join Salzburg in Austria, you know. And the Austrian league is, of course, I don't see anything bad at the moment, but. <laughs> Far away, you know, but everybody knows. Hey, when I'm joining Salzburg, I play Champions League, and I get my chance, you know, as a young player. Because if you look on the age, on the on the average age, uh, in in Salzburg, it's less than twenty three. 
Wow. And you have two old old players. One is 38, uh, 36. Mm. I played with him, Andreas Olba and uh, Slatko Junusevic. He's 32. And everybody else is, yeah, miles younger, you know. Sean, do you want to be our our Austrian talent scout? Because I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really inspired here. I, do, I I honestly I I want I want the next wave of Austrian talent running through the spine of the West Bromwich Albion team. I, I think uh, with with this certain money you you get, you can build so much, you know, for the future, and you can build a certain place in England that everybody wants to join, you know. And yeah. that's, that should be the main focus because otherwise you always rely on the investor's money, you know? Absolutely. And, and of course you rely on the, on the normal market, football players market, you know, and you play over, overrated actually. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just obviously we've got a lot of work to do to build a decent football structure. Do you think that Steve Bruce is the man to, almost hold the fort this season whilst that structure gets gets built. And I mean, his contract only runs till the end of the season. So I think it's probably reasonable to think after that, that we might be looking at a, a younger, more long-term manager. But do you think for the purposes of this season, whilst um, Ron Gourlay and whoever else sorts out that football structure, he's the man to kind of do a stabilising job? Yeah. Um, so he got, he got his experience. But um, for me, it's always the question, is it the right um, thinking? Just uh, look on the next season and hope something is coming from somewhere, actually. It's, it's, yeah, it's not long term. You know, it's just another year. Maybe it works or maybe it doesn't work. And for me, that's not... Um, the right uh, aspect actually and also not the right uh, way to, to come into a, a long-term settled period of uh, success actually. And if you were appointed as the uh, West Brom technical director tomorrow, would you look at the players to decide your DNA or would you already know what it's going to be and then build around, build to form that DNA? Also the, the, the first thing, I would think about is uh, I would sit together with the board <laughs> before uh, uh, and then then uh, going down to the, the letter to the, to the players actually. Yeah, but so it has to basically have everyone's yes, buy-in. Yes. yes, yes, that's the main thing from from up to bottom. You need to go to, to make sure everybody knows the direction and everybody is passionate of the target, actually, what you set together, actually. Otherwise, you always just, yeah, it's day-by-day basis work, actually. Oh, what we wouldn't give to have that kind of unity and that kind of direction, oh, Charles. Unbelievable. It well, would help a lot. Oh, massively, massively. Well, look, before we, before we finish, Shans, just what, one last uh, one last thing. We've spoke a lot about your relationship with the with the Albion fans. It sounds like you're still very passionate about them and about the club. Have you got like a final message for for the West Brom fans before we before we let you go? Uh, yes, uh, I know uh, being uh, a supporter of a, of a club is not always easy, <laughs> especially in this situation, but. Uh, If, if you look uh, on, on, the, on the history, you know, after a, a down actually is always coming up. Uh, hopefully it doesn't take too long actually, but uh, stay strong and uh, yeah, 
just cheering Paul Shana for technical director, not just joking. <laughs> Mate, we, we we are literally setting up the hashtag as we yes. speak. It's happening. It, Paul Shana for hashtag Shans for technical director. Get it trending. Get it trending now. Yeah, Shans- it, 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 it's it's such a shame. And when I'm I'm looking uh, to my former former clubs, they are all struggling. You know, beginning from Austria, Vienna in 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 Austria, of course, uh, they are they're just settled now, but they were nearly bankrupt. Uh, then looking looking to Bramberg, to Norway, they got relegated last. Season they are in second tier now. Wigan Athletic, you you you, you saw uh, yourself uh, two years ago. They, they need to go down to League One because of uh, financial problems. Coming back now stronger, but uh, hopefully all the former clubs uh, surviving and doing a great job in the next uh, ten years. Actually, you need to do a whistle stop tour of each of them, sorting yes. them all out, mate. That's what <laughs> that's what needs to happen. Now, Sean's unbelievable talking to you today. Thank you so much for for joining us. And, you know, it's absolutely fantastic. And we hope we see you down the Hawthorns very, very soon, mate. Let's see. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Chris, for inviting me. Thank you very much, Pete, for the questions. And, uh, yeah, Uh, best greetings from Austria. Albin have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.